that John saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, great to see you all tonight. Uh, We're over in the corner so as not to block the screen, but I see the Bosworth uh, cornered that side anyway. Dave's awake. This is good. (laughs) Delight to be here. We leave Wednesday for the frozen north again, although spring is coming. But it's great to finish our uh, time here with a Boulevard Bible Chapel. Uh, Jane always has a special spot for you. She does have a little health issue tonight and uh, sent her regrets, but has so much enjoyed with me being with you again, catching up with so much news. And uh, I've had a few complaints, of course, that I don't blow things up anymore, but uh, I've got to tell you, you've matured. You can pay attention to the Bible without me <laughs> blowing things up. <laughs> but we are having a good time, and of course... We've been talking about the God we can trust, the wise God, the powerful God, the faithful God, and the God that has plans. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And really, you put all those things together. Uh, I don't teach science anymore, but I still like equations. And this is the key equation. If you add God's wisdom and God's power to God's faithfulness, you've got to have total trust in his plans. And that's why I've been trying to take you. Now, not just to depend on God, but to fully trust God. And I hope uh, by the end of this series, you think, man, wow, there's my mic. Man, are we so glad that I'm on side with God's big plans. So we're going to talk about plans tonight, big plans. A particular passage is chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation, uh, where these plans are. This is a fantastic passage. You know, a lot of people I talk to today about the unknown future, they're very pessimistic. People I find with all the evil and global strife, another bomb in Turkey today, another shooting at a great resort, uh, and and, uh, more lives lost, ISIS, Al-Qaeda. They say, where will it end? People ask me that. What's the world coming to? Very common question. By the way, a good witnessing point. You want to say, well, I know. And they go, well, do you have a crystal ball? And you can talk about what lies ahead. Well, what does lie ahead? Well, I have to tell you, I have no more idea than you about what may happen to us next year. I say, I'll be back next year, but it's God willing. Jane and I didn't expect uh, so many bereavements in a month. Who knows what happens? So I, I can't say about the immediate future for any of you but I do know 
what the Bible says about the long-term future. So yes, there's question marks, there's excitement, there's exclamation marks. What lies ahead? Well, we have to ask these questions. My friends there, Linus and Charlie Brown, look at the little trees. There's a beautiful little tree, isn't it? He said, you know, it's a shame we won't be around to see it when it's fully grown. Why, says Linus, <laughs> where are we going? And that's the question, the big question, where are we going? I use that in an evangelistic sense, but, but, but I want to say tonight we're going to look where we're going, what God's plans are, take a big picture view of where things are going, what's the world coming to, and I'm not going to speculate. I'm not going to crystal ball gaze. No, rather than guessing, I'm going to tell you about a peak that God gave to the Apostle John right at the end of his life, comes at the end of the Bible, to show John how things will ultimately unfold, actually to show John what history is leading to. It's a fantastic invitation. I want you to accept this invitation to preview God's plans through a door standing open in heaven. Fantastic. And they're big plans. Huge plans. Because starting in chapter 4 and 5 of the book of Revelation, God opened a door in heaven. And he made this invitation. John, come and see some things that are going to take place. Amazing things about the future. And the wonderful things. What is that? God showed John that he was in control of history. He even showed what our ultimate destiny will be if we fall in with God's big plans. Of course, God wants us to fall in. And we need to fall in. But they're fantastic plans because what John saw and was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write about, I mean, it should lift your mood. I, I don't know what mood you came in tonight. Sometimes things happen that get us down. Uh, but I, I, I think you've got to move into the future. You've got to move into life with a real sense of purpose and joy because as we open our Bibles tonight, we're going to see how does chapter 4 start. After they said, look, Behold, a door was opened in heaven. And let's put the whole verse up. The door standing open in heaven and the voice said, Hey, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. What must take place. This is, there's no doubt about this. I'm going to show you what must take place. So this is a, this is a fantastic invitation. Uh, to peek behind the door into heaven. A, a door that God chooses to open to give us a preview of his plans for the future. And what John saw, well, he saw a lot of stuff, but he saw three things. And they're the things I want to stress. I'll, I'll just mention some of the side things that he saw. But basically, John saw three things. And what excites me is, all these things are actually related to things we all long for. I put a little asterisk there to see what we long for, because he saw a throne from which God reigns. Um, um, don't we long for wise leadership with good, not evil, in control? Not, not just your election, but a whole world scene, the chaos of all. Oh, we long for good leadership and with evil defeated. John saw a throne from which God reigns. And he saw a sealed scroll. 
We're going to see that's actually pre-written history in God's right hand. And don't you want history to go somewhere? Don't want, you want to feel that it's going somewhere meaningful, that everything's not capricious and, and chaotic and chance? We long for that. And he saw, of course, a lamb with marks of having been slain. You know what that is, the Lord Jesus' death and all that stuff. But don't we long to be accepted by God? These are, these are human longings. The history is going somewhere. And Christ, the one through whom we can find and be accepted by God in a wonderful relationship, was a big thing that John saw. And we're going to talk about each of these. So let's see. Let's get right into it. The first and central thing that John sees is a throne with someone sitting on it. Hard to show you a picture of tell you why in a minute, but verse 2, there was a throne with someone sitting on it. The throne. You know, this is so important. The vision of the throne of God the Father, that's central to the book of Revelation. It's a key symbol that God is majestic, that he's sovereign, that he's in control. God's majesty, God's sovereignty, God's authority, God's control is of course central to all we believe as Christians. Now it's a tough thing to talk about because the one sitting on a throne can't be described. <clears throat> God the Father is recognized in Scripture as the one about whom or what does Scripture say? 1 Kings 8, 27, look the heavens, even the highest heavens can't contain you. We can't just... just localize God. In fact, Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, God lives in unapproachable lights. No one has seen nor can see. That's why it's so wonderful to see him through the Lord Jesus who tangibly came to us. But, but this is the problem, you see. So, so <clears throat> what John saw is really a variety of colorful images which are used to help us comprehend what's indescribable. And these images, I mean, they're figurative, of course, but they're full of significance. Now, I can't go into these pictures of beauty and majesty in detail right now because we'll have our work cut out to get through the throne and the scroll and the lamb by seven o'clock, but just think about them. I love these. You know, I love the fact that there's a rainbow uh, circling the throne because that's a symbol of what? A reliable covenant keep, keeping God. What we talked about this morning talked about what a covenant is and a promise and the reliability of God and there it's symbolized by the rainbow. I love the fact that the 24 elders around the throne that, that, that they represent a continuity of God's plans. I mean to call a people to himself 12 patriarchs in the Old Testament, twelve apostles in the New Testament. You know, it was the twelve sons of Jacob, including Joseph, that grew into the twelve tribes of ancient Israel, and they were instrumental in what? Growing the earthly people of God. Israel, and these twenty-four elders, they represent the complete church of God. The past and the future embracing both the Jewish and Gentile worlds and they're all coming together now and of course the thunder that's like Sinai it's reminiscent of the power of a holy God helps us recognize that those seven lamps beautiful 
explained in Scripture, we're told it's the all-pervasive, perfect ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it makes it clear that God's plans are the work of the Trinity. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our God is a triune God. And there's God with a sea of glass, a symbol of God's transcendence, meaning God's totally independent. He's distinct from all others. There's one God, one independent, transcendent God. Of course, it's just a vision, but it helps us recognize an ultimate reality. And through all that, we see this fantastic main thing, the main thing. There's an occupied throne, someone's there in control, and he has a purposeful plan. <clears throat> and I want you to be gripped by this, right? God reigns. And everything in this universe should be related to his rule and his sovereignty. Do remember this, and uh, you know, it's, it, it's wonderful what the Lord Jesus did. Remember, awesome though this vision of a holy God, hidden by light and splendor is. And we have those visions, Isaiah 6, or others in Scripture, awesome though they are. This is the same one that the Lord Jesus taught us to address as our Father in Heaven. Isn't it wonderful? We go to our Father in Heaven. And this gives us security. As we look ahead, uh, and as people say to us, the world's gone mad, it's out of control. And we are conscious that there's change and deterioration and decay, and as we go older, it, it seems to get worse. And there seems to be that sense of uncertainty, because, as I said, the immediate future is unknown. But then you go to this, and you see, wow, those heavenly beings before the throne, they're beyond time. With respect to time, what does it say? It says they never stop. We're so limited down here. They <clears throat> never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. He was and is and is to come. See the activities around the throne are never ceasing. All three tenses are used. We're talking past, present and future here. And our security comes from an eternal, unchanging, unshakable God who's forever on the throne. And when all else comes and goes and, and things change, He remains constant, the same for all eternity, where there is no time. And it's a powerful vision. And the vision given to John teaches us and we need to understand this when we're nervous and worried about where things are going. There really is someone on the throne directing history forward. And at the heart of the universe, I talk to a lot of scientists as a professional scientist, and people talk about, you know, the beginning and what's at the heart of the universe. And then I go to the Bible and say, at the heart of the universe is a personality who's moving and controlling and fulfilling great plans. And it's a great hope. You see, because people talk about a force and a, as if the universe was somehow mechanistic, a machine. And there are those who, who believe there's only atoms and molecules and there is only natural causes. And, and this is so reassuring. So reassuring. There's a real God that we can talk to. You know, it's very frustrating these days. Of course, I don't know whether you've had this experience. I've got a little amusing video clip here. That these days you seem to have to talk to machines. Not people. <clears throat> I make these phone calls. Well, let me show you an example. I think we've got the sound on for this, brother. Yes. Because, let me tell you, it's not a machine or a force. 
It's a mind. It's a God who understands. It's a God who has ultimate authority. So you don't need to say, I need more help. Don't you understand? It's not like, and let me show you this. I'm sorry, there is nobody here by that name. To return to the previous menu, press zero. For a full listing of our staff, press one. For our hours of operation, press two. To speak with a customer service representative, press three. Thank you. Your current wait time is four hours and 37 minutes. Please enjoy the music. You've had those experiences. There's no wait time. We're talking about a God who keeps his promises, is ultimately reliable, a God we can go to 24-7. It's so frustrating to talk to a machine. We talk to a personal God. And knowing that, that the one on the throne is personal and caring, is an unchangeable God, a God whose plans will be fully carried out, a God at the heart of everything, a ruler we're accountable to, one whose purposes will be realized. Folks, it's got to make a tremendous difference to your peace of mind as you, as, as you live your life. Because he does help. And there is no wait time. And I talked about that this morning, about his faithfulness even in trouble and trial and so forth. And I want to say this, if you think all this is so distant and abstract and otherworldly and it really doesn't affect Monday morning and, and the trials that you're going through, I want you to notice what the four living creatures and the 24 elders before the throne, notice what they had in those golden bowls that they presented before God. Before the throne, Revelation 5a, they had bowls with what? The prayers of the saints. I want to tell you, you can talk to God, of course, but our prayers, human prayers, they play an important role in the unfolding of God's plan. It's never a waste of time to pray. God builds that into his program. I can't explain how, but I can tell you, don't neglect your prayer life. I told you this morning about the quiet time and the focusing of the day. Because God uses and responds to our prayers. That's why we go and pray with those that are sick and expect healing and blessing and things happen. And one night I'd love to talk to you, but I've lived so long, I've seen so many answers to prayers. But all I can say tonight, God uses and responds to your prayers. So I'm just calling you to be more diligent. To make sure your spirit-led prayers are daily before the throne of God. And do you know what that throne's called? This throne, it's called a throne of grace. A heavenly father, a throne of grace. This is really personal. You know, I don't suppose any of the Canadians are here tonight. They're off on the beach. These Canadians are weak, you know. <laughs> we had some Canadians here this morning, and they would understand this, but you guys have a different political system altogether. We have that British tradition of opening Parliament with a speech from the throne. Let me show you. This is Canada. This is our new guy. He spent a week with Obama. Just a young lad there standing with Obama, but he's just got elected. And in Canada, when you form a new government, you get a speech from the throne. We don't have the Queen, although she's head of our Commonwealth. We have the Governor-General representing the Queen sitting there. And what's it all about? What happens in the speech from the throne is that the government outlines its plans. 
it opens Parliament with a summary of its intentions. Because being politicians, I can't say all the plans come to pass. But I'm mentioning this because I want you to get, this is God speaks from the throne. What it is, like that, it's a clear statement of God's plans for a new order. And I've got to tell you, that involves total cosmic transformation and renewal. These are big plans, and they will come about. And our confidence, as we move into the unknown future, it's got to be even greater. Once you understand the meaning of the second big thing John saw, he saw a throne, but then he saw a sealed scroll. The scroll sealed with seven seals. And as you move into Revelation 5, our attention's drawn to this mysterious sealed scroll. And every time one of those seven seals is opened, John sees certain events taking place as the contents of the scroll are revealed. And the scroll's significance is made clear in the opening statement. Let me tell you again, I will show you things that must take place. Because this sealed scroll is really a sealed volume of world and salvation history. It spells out our human destiny. And it, and it has an important and a reassuring message for us as we face a changing and unstable world. It's reassuring because it shows that history is neither meaningless nor haphazard. History's outcome is predetermined by God and it was revealed to John before it happened. This is fantastic. You know, people live their lives as if they were going nowhere. It's like Ziggy in the cartoon. He's a character I have to chuckle about. But he sits at his window and he says, there seems to be no plot to the story of my life. There is a plot. And when people wonder what the world coming to you, you should feel secure enough to recognize that in broad terms you know. Unfortunately, of course, the world that turns away from God, it's, well, Jesus warned us in the Gospels, it's not good news for Christ's opponents. But let's get to this scroll. Let's see what's in God's right hand. This is a, <clears throat> a wonderful detail because a right hand is a symbol of God's authority. And it's just another reminder of God's ultimate sovereignty over all history. It's an amazing thing, you know. It's written on both sides. It's like the Ten Commandments. It goes to the trouble in Exodus 32 and here to say, hey, written on both sides. <clears throat> and it's... <clears throat> pardon me, I've got allergies when I come down here. It's like spring to me. And so it affects my voice. Apologize for that. But however strong the evil in this world becomes... However fierce the satanic attacks that assail the church on earth, the outcome rests in God's hands. And as the scrolls opened up, the detailed plans and purposes of God for subduing the enemies of Christ and establishing his reign on earth, they're just revealed. It, it is an unusual scroll because writing on both sides wasn't normally done in the ancient world. Generally, only one side of the scroll was smooth enough to write on. Very unusual to write on both sides. But it's important, because writing on both sides, it's a sign of a full and complete message. This is, this is done. The plans are in their final form. They won't be changed. They won't be diverted. You see, what I'm trying to get across is, folks, God's planned outcome is secured. <laughs> 
We used to sing a lovely hymn, God holds the key of all unknown, and I am glad. If other hands should hold the key, or if he trusted it to me, I would be sad. It's, it's, it, it, the seven seals, again, a symbol of perfection. There are no gaps. You see, it's a perfect plan. And, and what is the planned outcome? And that, what is the goal of history? Thank you. I keep getting water from you guys. I, uh, it's a sign of a dry speaker. There you go. We'll spin it on Roger's guitar if we're not careful. There we go. <clears throat> this is um, the question we have to ask. What is the outcome? I mean, well, you've got to get to the end of the seven seals. I won't give you the whole story tonight, but let's go to the end. I'd love to go to the end. You know, I cheap and I read books. I like happy endings. So I just sneak peek at the end ruins mysteries because I find out who done it before I read it. But I love to do that. So I, I'm going to take you right to the end. Save a lot of time. Revelation 11:15. There were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now this is wonderful news. I mean, the world will in every aspect be recognized as God's kingdom and when everything in that scroll has transpired, the universe will be seen to be fully belong to God. It does belong to God, but it will be seen to belong to God and his eternal rule will be absolute and beyond challenge. That's why we sing hymns like, what a day, what a glorious day that will be. What a wonderful moment. But I want to go back to the vision. I, I want you to see how it's all going to pan out. But we, I want to go back because we left John seeing these things. But we find if we go back to the vision, John becomes very distressed. Because a huge problem arises. A strong angel goes on a universal search and discovers no angel, no created being, no human being, no creature. No one can open the scroll. And why is John crying? Well, he weeps because he understands that if God's purposes fail, all life is meaningless. There is nothing. He recognizes without God's plans coming to completion, there will in the end be, well, there will only be weeping and despair. No wonder he weeps. And then that wonderful news, you remember, this is fantastic, verse 5. One of the elders said, Stop weeping. Behold, a lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he's overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. It's a wonderful passage because the elder uses, of course, the Old Testament title of the Messiah to identify the one who is qualified and able to open the scroll. You know the story, the tribe of Judah was a tribe of David that was given the promise to Samuel of a son, a son whose throne and kingdom would endure forever. So this is great news. Finally, all this is being fulfilled and John turns to see that third big item. He's seen the throne, he's seen the scroll. Now, in this astounding vision, he wants to see the lion representing the Lord Jesus. What a surprise. He turns... He expects to see a kingly lion and he sees a lamb as it had been slain. 
And that's it. The third thing that he saw, the Lamb. See, what John sees is an image of Christ as a slain redeemer of the world. And he looks astounded at a Lamb. A Lamb with the marks of death on him. It's quite a thought, you know. Have you thought about this? When, when we see Christ in heaven, we'll see... How will we know him? That him says, we'll know him by the prints of the nails in his hand. I think that's wonderful. We sang this morning, the breaking of bread, not at the crown he giveth, but at his pierced head. It's a trivial pursuit question, by the way. Try on the kids. Is there anything man-made in heaven? Ask them if there's anything man-made in heaven. They'll think, the nail prints, the pierced heads. What is man-made in heaven? It's a symbol of our redemption. And John sees that. And I look at this, I think, what a remarkable uniting of two great images that run through the Bible. And it's in one person. And it's absolutely unique because lions conquer. They are symbols of majesty and power and authority. Lambs are symbols of submission and weakness. They're used in sacrifices for sin. Lions conquer, lambs submit. And we get this tremendous truth that the great paradox of our Saviour that he conquers, but he conquers by submission. Uh, and these the symbols come together. The images are beautiful symbols of a wonderful, wonderful reality. Because as a lion of Judah, Jesus will rule the world. According to Psalm 2, he'll rule with a rod of iron. But as a lamb of God, he gave his life in sacrifice to open up Actually, not to peek in the door, but to go in the door. And if you're feeling weak and faltering tonight and, 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 and not up to stuff, Christ comes. He comes like this as a compassionate Savior, one who submitted to a cruel death. So that everyone who turns to him in faith and repentance could be admitted right through the open door, right into heaven. Because as a Lamb of God, he gave his life in sacrifice. And it's the cross, of course, that's the key to our eternal destiny. We need to remember the gospel is so important. The door into heaven is open for all of us. We just have to respond to his loving call. And I want to say this, in an age of pluralism, we Christians must stand for the central truth of the Bible that Jesus is the unique and only way to be reconciled with God and enter heaven. I was so happy to hear at Nancy Reagan's funeral how strongly they said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And there's one way. I've got to write to Nancy's son, Ronald. He stands there after that great witness and says, I don't believe in the supernatural. And I'm surrounded by this overwhelming evidence in science. I must get round to writing to him and say, Ronald, you've got to know. You saw it in your parents. You've got to know there's one way. Because the sacrifice of Christ, the unique, perfect Son of God, is the only thing that can reconcile us to a holy God from whom we're alienated from sin. You guys know the gospel, but that's what we have to preach. And it's so important. But I've got to move. I've got to change focus. We've concentrated on what John saw, but I want to talk about something else a little bit. Changing the focus from what John saw, I just want to think about what the heavenly creatures were doing and then think, what will we be doing 
We have these visions of heaven. What will we be doing in eternity? Because they're speaking to what's happening in heaven is fascinating. But we need to keep thinking about life on earth, you see, because right now, as C.S. Lewis wrote, on earth there are two kinds of people. There are those who say to God, your will be done. We're on side with God. And those to whom God has to say, all right, then have it your way. Talked about freedom of choice this morning. We have the choice. No one's arm twisted into the kingdom. We have to think about that as we preach the gospel. But what will believers, those who want God's will to be done, what will we finish up doing after we enter through the door? And that's the big plans I want to get to. You see, people talk about, well, it's going to be boring in heaven, all those angels and singing, <laughs> not much action. You know, the big reason I find the idea of eternal life exciting is I'm one of those people who loves to learn and understand things. That's why I didn't ever get a job. I just went into academic life and let the taxpayers pay my salary, you see, because I could never leave school. I could learn stuff. And I've realized on earth we're just beginning to learn about God and I think about heaven. It's got to be an ongoing occupation. We'll be learning about the Lord. We'll be responding in loving worship and meaningful service as the bride of Christ. It's going to be great. You see, because what Jesus said to his followers, he said in Matthew 4, you'll worship the Lord God and him only shall you serve. Now, now, Worship manifests itself in any response to the recognition of the surpassing worthiness of the Godhead. We'll recognize the worthiness of the Godhead and we'll respond, but it, it won't be singing praise songs day and night. Uh, some of these praise teams, after we've sung the song about 20 times, I'm getting a little bored, although it's great words. No, it'll be more than that. It says at the end of the Bible, his servants will serve. And it's the same word for worship. His servants will serve or worship him and they'll see his face. I mean, this is astounding stuff. could say a lot about it, but listen. We face huge limitations right now. We're trying to understand the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The one who's high and lofty. He inhabits eternity. And you think about that and you realize our understanding is so limited. Because God is bigger than we can think about. He's bigger than forever. So what I'm saying to you is it will take all eternity to do what? To comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ. You see, it'll be an ongoing experience. In other words, what I'm trying to say is we'll never stop learning and responding and serving in worship and we'll be doing it together as a communal activity. You see, Scripture makes it clear you won't be in heaven alone. In fact, there'll be more people than you can imagine. And we'll not only know our friends and family, we'll be fully known by them. You see, there's no need for secrets in heaven because there's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing to hide. I wouldn't want you to know everything I ever think all day. But in eternity, it'll be different. Uh, and we'll interact. And we'll have all eternity to interact and serve with what? A great multitude which no one can count. I tried to count them, and I'm going to show you my calculations before we finish. 
But the scriptures is a great multitude which no one can count out of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues. I mean, just getting to know everyone with whom we worship is going to take a long time. We'll all have new names. I've got to work on that. And we'll be saying they aren't worthy for all eternity. But, you see, we'll continually enjoy, we'll enjoy, for example, the three things that John saw. The throne, the scroll, the lamb. What I mean is we'll enjoy God's perfect reign because only good will rule, evil's destroyed. We'll enjoy God's purposes realized. We'll see the goal of history revealed. We'll have Christ recognized as Lord and we'll joyfully worship. That means to serve him. And it's a fantastic thing and it will come to pass. Of course, you realize that all my ideas about what we'll do in eternity are nothing compared with what we'll actually find. Scripture's clear. You can't imagine it. In fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, it's not entered our minds what God has prepared for those that love him. I put that on Vivian's tombstone because I couldn't even imagine the joy we can't. It's like, you know, I think of the caterpillar trying to imagine flying. Caterpillars, they aren't, you'll never get me up in one of those things. They can't imagine it. By the way, I, I read a study the other day. They've actually found that butterflies remember things they learned as caterpillars. Incredible. But from a caterpillar point of view, he said to fly, to fly that would be quite a trick. Our bodies are too coarse and thick. For that, it must be very quick and we're far too slow. <laughs> they think, no way. It's but a transformation that God plans for us is beyond, is beyond imagination. Of course it will involve personal renewal, as Scripture's clear in 1 Corinthians 15, in a moment the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. I mean, this is not a hard verse to understand. We will be changed. But at the end of my little series, I want you to take a broader, eternal perspective. Sometimes we think, okay, we'll be changed, we'll have a new name, we'll be hanging around heaven, singing praise songs all day. But you see, in Revelation 21, John gets a glimpse of the end of history. I'm thinking beyond the rapture, beyond the tribulation, beyond the judgments, when Satan's been finally banished. Get off your prophetic chart to the end of the story and glimpse the eternal state where Peter says righteousness dwells. And we get bogged down with the details, but the end's clear. The old order has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. It's so important, he said, write it down, these words are true. This is solid stuff. Making everything new. i got to tell you, it means more than we can imagine. I mean, it's cosmic change. And don't forget it involves earth as well as heaven. It's not just worshipping heaven in new bodies. We had it this morning, our brother Aaron said, we'll reign on the earth. We've we got to get the big picture here. Revelation 21 says it includes a transformed new earth. Absolute, God's plan includes the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven to earth so that, talk about God with us, Christmas, the dwelling of God is with us humans. That's how the Bible finishes. 
a huge cubic city coming down. No, I'm a scientist. I thought, this is crazy. How are we going to fit there? This, this is, this is. And I tried to do the calculations with the help of the internet. And in the process, by the way, I came to this little thought, a little object lesson. The New Jerusalem's a cubic city. If you ever make a cube, you'll find the foundation of a cube is a cross. Just reminding you, everything depends on the cross. This whole thing is because Jesus died. But anyway, I looked at those dimensions and I thought, 1,500 mile sides gives 3.75 billion cubic miles. Is that big enough? You could argue about how many people have ever been born if you include miscarriages and abortions and all of history. The best estimates people gave was 110 billion. But hey, I've got to tell you, the promise of John 14 is well covered. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Hey, you know what? If you double the number, if you double any number you could dream of, it's still a quarter cubic mile per person. For all that have ever lived, two times over. Don't get bogged down. The culmination of God's plan is fantastic. And he finishes the Bible, and this is the end, because it's seven o'clock, with this invitation. You can see I'm not a Calvinist, I'm sorry. Because I go to the end of the Bible, it says, Let everyone who is thirsty come. And let everyone who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. You can't misunderstand a verse like that. That's the culmination of God's plan. He's not willing to any perish. Of course there's judgment. I want you to listen to this, but of course there's judgment. Of course the Christ rejectors and evil will be dealt with. But for those that wish, all those that accept Jesus, it's wonderful. I just want to remind you, of that holy city in the words of one of my favorite English singers and we'll finish with this may God speak to us as we hear about it and once again the scene was changed you are the scene to be I saw the holy city beside the tiger sea the light
Hosanna forevermore. In keeping with his promise, we look forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him, in peace, spotless and blameless. May God help us. I'm just going to give a benediction in the words of Revelation 1. Grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom of priests, to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen.